I'm reminded of a poem by uh, Paul Reps, and I'll paraphrase it. What's worse than paraphrasing a poem? <laughs> well, it's going to happen. Uh, where he says something like, um, No sames, no sames, no same grass, no same fence, no same tree, no same breath. Whoever breaks this law will get bored. And to me it talks about uh, the practice that we do here to connect uh, or rediscover or discover the familiar with this kind of, I almost want to say, uh, candor, candidness, in a candid way. And it it takes some research to find that groove and then we lose it, but to to show up uh, the beginner's mind, the beginner's mind, to dive under preconceived ideas and discover again what is it like to be in this in a body or to walk. Or I remember um, Christopher Titmus talking about uh, reactualizing memory instead of going around like oh oh yeah I know Spencer. Done, you know. <laughs> Seen him once, <laughs> know him, you know. This freshness of hey, let's have the latest version of spring, grass, walking. You know, sometimes we kind of concluded a long time ago, maybe when we were somewhere between two to five year old years old, a tree. I know. You know, but here we're invited to have the latest version of this, the latest version of moi. What's the latest version of moi? Let's discover this. We might have a lot of ideas about moi. Or I'm thinking of um, another colleague, teacher, who would describe this uh, sitting once a year with, let's say, a friend. And... um, so they would sit together, uh, and the exercise, exercise, exercise they would do is uh, 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 so he would say uh, his, his name just left. It was right there, and it left. Um, anyway, let's say I'll do it with Pascal. So. Uh, he, uh, he would just sit there with a really good friend, maybe they would, or partner, or child, or somebody with whom you spend a lot of time. You know? And what they would do is, uh, I imagine doing this with Ruby, we would sit together, where well, we don't spend so much time, so we're still curious about each other. But <laughs> if we did spend a lot of time together, we could sit, and I would say to you, I'm not Pascal. And you would say, I am not Ruby. 
just to kind of help us. It's a device, it might work or not, but to help us dive under the preconceived idea, oh, it's Pascal, it's Pascal. You know, I'm not Pascal. Then, oh, who's there? Who, who is this being? Am I able to transmit this a bit? To... I remember um, hearing this teacher's name just came back and left again. There might be some of the tiredness here. Um, and I see his dear face. Uh, so I remember him talking about this. And after, I remember I was um, teaching on the month long with uh, Carol Wilson, who's a great teacher that I adore. And uh, at Spirit Rock, the little um, room that we have for the, the teacher has a window when you see people coming towards the, the center. So I would get there early uh, before the, f the first uh, instructional sit of the morning, and I would be there, and then I would see Carol coming for the day of uh, teaching. And then I would think, this is not Carol. And I could see how it was opening my mind. Otherwise, I know Carol. I know the kind of jokes she makes. I know her spirit, or you know, thought I did. Spend a lot of time uh, on retreat hearing her and interviewing with her. And, and then I would just see her walk, and I would say, this is not Carol. And then someone would come in. And I could see that there was, there was like, who? Who is this? Who is this? So, working on discovering what is freshness, what, what is a new, what is when we are able to renounce preconceived ideas, freedom from the known. That's the title of a book. Um, and anyway, I was reminded of the No Sames from Paul Reps. Just because uh, doing the walk just there, Uh, I could see when there was no sames, you know, how, how joy was not very far for me uh, today. And, and I, I'm so thankful and love this practice so much for this, among, amongst many, many uh, reasons. This is one, one reason that I'm so grateful to my teachers for their patience in inviting me to explore this. And there's a joy uh, that is accessible that uh, doesn't come from getting what we want or uh, you know, things being stimulating or, or pleasant in you know, tastes or entertainment. Or, but on the path, there's so many different kinds of joy that arise from within. How about that? You know, if my joy depends on something outside, it's extremely unstable, no? It makes it very unreliable. But when it can be produced from inside, still, it has unst it's unstable, but there's something, some kind of independence that can be gained. And this part of the path, it, which is this, the... You know, making a step with a half, half present. You know, it's so, it's so much juicy. It's so boring. It's so 
can lead straight to doubt. What am I doing here? Why is there a period of walking? Another one yet? Or, you know, or it could be doing a different practice than walking, of course. You know, you could just be sitting there on a bench, you know. But what's the difference with sitting on a bench without attention and sitting on a bench with this kind of freshness? I've never been here before. What's it like to be here? What is, what's it like to have arms? Or a chest? Or legs? What is it like to, to be conscious? makes me think of um, Joseph. When Joseph, uh, when people ask about boredom, uh, he says in a non-judgmental way, but more like a, kind of a, the doctor talking about diagnosis. You know, just says, "Oh, boredom is a, is a, a symptom of lack of attention." Boredom is a symptom of lack of attention. That's interesting, not for research. I call it like this. Next time I'm bored, is there a way that is, is it possible that the attention stay hovering above? The, you know, like not landing. And where could it land? What can be known? Is a question that I ask myself sometimes. What can be known, Pascal? Like, I'm here, it's a little bit general. Yeah, I'm here, it's here. What can be known, really? Oh. An in-breath. Or the hands. Or the warmth. Oh, that can be known. You might remember, yesterday I was talking about uh, this fourth foundation... Oh, let's do a little review. That's fun, no? First foundation. What is it? Body, yeah. Form, yeah. The body, the breath, postures, activities. There's other ways to talk about it, but I'll stop here. Second aspect of experience, uh, worthy of curiosity, of care, of intimacy when it happens. Feeling tone. Feeling tone. Oh, yeah. It's a, this pleasure that comes with experiences or displeasure or, or the absence thereof. Another expression I've never said before. <laughs> I'm playing a little bit with language. And the third foundation is mind states, huh? emotions, uh, qualities of mind, being aware of their presence, their absence. It's really beautiful the way, very s- simple, the way 
the Buddha talks about it in, in the, when he gives his uh, instruction. He said, oh, when the mind or the heart, I'll put it in my words, which I think he, he allows me to do this. Um, I read this in some sutra. That some people were reporting like, hey, they don't use the exact words. You know, and the Buddha was like, yeah, no, but the spirit is there. That's good. So I feel a lot of freedom. <laughs> so uh, the way he talks about mind states... And see what word resonates for you. It could be emotions for you, or moods, or uh, attitudes. The Buddha, when he talks about this in the third foundation, uh, when he invites us to be aware of it, he says something like, when your heart is heavy, know the heart is heavy. When the mind is scattered, know the mind is scattered. When the mind is gathered, know the mind is gathered. Can you find something less judgmental than this? So beautiful. So for me, there's freedom in there. Just know. Just be aware. Oh, I'm all worked up here. Uh, triggered. Oh, yeah, triggered. Worked up. Oh, let's notice it. Oh, quiet, open, soft vulnerable, rageful. Oh, yeah, that's what's happening. So that's the invitation. And then, this fourth uh, aspect of practice, which is, do you remember what it is? It's this... Vipassana. Huh? Vipassana. Vipassana? Is that what you said? Yes. Yes, oh yeah, Vipassana is the whole thing. It's the whole shebang. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the fourth foundation is the, um, as I said, I'm putting it here for, the, for this talk, for this day, for this retreat. And it's a good way to put it, I think. It's this, uh, the Buddha says, okay, in the first way that I invite you to be aware of mind, and mind, it's true mind state, no judgment, just take them for what they are. Their presence, their absence of the different mind states. Oh, I was impatient. There was a big wave of impatience. And now it's subsiding. And now it's gone. Ah, voila. Just what is here as it is. And in the fourth aspect of practice, he says, I want you, I put it in my words again, I, I want you to pay close attention on how you can go from the afflictive mind states to the liberating ones, the entangling mind states to the liberating one or beneficial ones. So that's a particular kind of exploration. How to accompany oneself, we could say, from one mind state to another. That's not uh, easy to do. And... What's the key element here? What's like the passageway? Do I have still time to talk? Yes, <laughs> I do. So the passageway is surprise, surprise. Awareness. Being aware. 
being aware is the first step towards uh, moving, either accepting, rec- recognizing, accepting, getting curious about such a different thing. Huh? Being discouraged, it's never going to work out for me. This meditation, it's never... Being under the spell and then bringing a new element to the equation, if I can put it like this. Bringing this wakefulness, this waking up to what's happening. Oh, Pascal, there's discouragement here. This slight move of becoming aware of, and already for me, what I see is we've already we're inviting the other qualities, helpful qualities along. It's almost like uh, in the wake of mindfulness, you know, there's all these qualities behind that are waiting to come in through this doorway, to this gateway called sati or mindfulness. And so, as I'm sitting here maybe and get discouraged, I'm never going to get this right, I'm, I'm mindless or absent-minded, or caught. You see, it's so hard to describe, but we know this. You know, when I'm caught in my thoughts, and suddenly there's a waking up. Like, oh, hold on, I'm here, breathing. Oh, and there's discouragement here. To me, right away, with this recognition and this waking up to this, there is some curiosity that arises. Oh, look at that. Oh, here's an interesting phenomenon, discouragement. How do I know I'm discouraged? There's something in the body, some contraction maybe, some heaviness, some, some, something maybe that I feel, it's maybe hard to describe, but I can feel it. Or the mood, maybe it's the mood inside. There's a kind of ambiance, no? Inside, it's very different than lightness or joy, discouragement. There's something, it's a different flavor. I can only use kind of physical term to try to describe the experience inside. Maybe there is a feeling tone. Would you think that discouragement is something... Pleasurable to feel or displeasurable? Let's check out if it's there. Oh, yeah. It's this unpleasant. Oh. So with um, this awareness comes curiosity or sometimes called investigation. It's really tricky, this word investigation in Buddhist psychology because we might misunderstand what it means. It would be very easy, I think, to think that investigating an emotion or mood would mean thinking about it. Don't you think? It could mean like, oh, why do I feel this? Where did it start from? It's a shame arises. Shame. I wanted to investigate it. There's many ways I'm talking about here in, the, in this research center. You know. 
in this research center we were really interested by what's here now in the felt way so not so much thinking about but experiencing we have to remember this again and again and again because very easily we'll go towards uh, thinking about where it comes from etc that's another avenue it's good to have many avenues you know and so here we're developing one and so to investigate in this way here and this practice here means to feel consciously to experience it while it's happening in real time live while it's there maybe locating this in the body noticing the feeling tone which refers to it being pleasant or unpleasant or neither maybe it's it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling the ambiance what i'm really curious about for myself is uh, how moods and emotions alter perceptions so take i would say pretty much anything let's say so in discouragement how does the future look in discouragement it takes a certain form no it's very different than in confidence or trust no the future appears a certain way i appear to myself a certain way so pascal in discouragement is really different than pascal in loving kindness or if you take impatience the others how do they appear in impatience interesting huh this mirage like nature of perception the buddha was talking about sometimes is very very much related to emotions so the way i perceive things past you would think oh past is factual but then depending on the mood it might appear really differently in discouragement i never succeeded at anything anyway even the past can take a certain coloring in blame shame compassion and so for me that becomes really interesting it might be quite subtle but really interested in this is very very applicable for me for example when i read an email which happens regularly <laughs> often you know i'll get the email and suddenly nothing's works it, you know and it's never going to work out this is not going to work out this you know it's like and now I'm like oh pascal that's how it appears right now <laughs> that it's un- unsolvable that it's never going to work out that's how it appears really strongly right now could be could it be caused by an emotion let's see in 20 minutes when creativity comes back or calm or, you know let's see and so with mindfulness uh, can arise and that's what you know this talk also wants to invite evoke elicit this curiosity for mind state 
is the passageway uh, to uh, helping us along. This mindfulness, the quality of mindfulness also, as we say, and we have to find this in ourselves, it's good to know, to get the information, to think about it, it seems really good, but to actually find this as in an experiential way and to have a reference, to re- be able to remember in a felt way what is mindfulness. You know, when we hear this, you know, John kabat you know, you know, what's his definition of mindfulness? He has a very simple, to the point, right on definition of mindfulness, and it in, includes a non judgmental attention. No? Non judgmental. Sounds really good. Sounds really good. When I hear this information, mindfulness is a non judgmental attention. It, it, it's a good information. I want it. When I reflect on it, I think it would be really good to have a non judgmental uh, Curiosity towards what happens, you know, inside myself, in situations. But then to actually find that inside of me, to find this way of being in relationship with events, in a non-judgmental... It's not that easy. I would say probably a decade, a first decade of before, you know, being able to really locate it and maybe have enough reference to be able to remember, not just remember how it, it's, but remem- remember in, in the, you know, to actually remember, oh yeah, there's another way. There's a way to actually experience this without positioning myself. It shouldn't happen, it should have been otherwise. Oh, this is what's here. Oh, this is what's here. So sad. Not easy to be with. Exactly like this. Look at that. Exactly like this. Oh, everything crumbled. Wow. I thought it would last longer, but it just crumbled. Wow. It's exactly like this when something falls apart. Wow. Without the mind that very naturally would cling to. It should have been, it shouldn't have happened like this, it, you know. Oh, Pascal, really worked up. No judgment. Oh, you feel really strongly about this. One other information that I got uh, from a friend, a uh, practitioner, Laurence, she told me... She said it was coming from somebody else, but she told me uh, emotions are about, uh, what did she say, something like three years old. This was so important to me, because when I have a devotion, you know, I know that I have to be very simple with it. <laughs> oh, Pascal, it's really hard for you. It's not what you expected, you know. It's an email saying, like, can we change the meeting from 7 to 7.30? And I'm like, oh, God, everything is, you know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you feel strongly about this, Pascal. It was really important for you that it was at 7 o'clock. <laughs> Caricaturing, maybe not even. 
Oh, this is how it is for you. There's a big reaction inside of you. Huh? Oh, you're very confused now. You don't know what to say with it. You don't know how to go about this. No judgment. Very, very soft. Recognizing what is happening. I could easily say, get over it. Come on. It's nothing. Why react so strongly? No, strong reaction inside. Losing all your bearings, Pascal. Okay, that's what's happening now. To me, this is mindfulness. How to accompany an emotion. It's not easy to do. Not easy to do at all. In the case of overwhelming emotions, um, it's not easy at all. And so sometimes we lose it in all kinds of ways, inner collapsing, uh, rage, uh, confusion, shame. And even with great practice, we won't be able to remember in the peak of the emotion or the but there's a moment maybe it could be a few minutes later a few hours later sometimes it's a few years later you know there's a moment where suddenly oh god but there's there's a moment where it's possible to remember, especially if we've done what we're doing here, you know, putting so many hours, a whole week, moment by moment, to try to discover what is being attentive in this way, what it is. And we try to uh, find out for ourselves what it is and maybe to stabilize it, to have really strong impressions inside. Oh, yeah, I know what it is to be attentive without judgment, with curiosity, towards things that are difficult, things that are pleasurable, and things that are neither one nor the other. Not easy, huh? Not easy. To have, en- to have enough reference in oneself, or to use the opportunity to discover in not much how there can be mindfulness in just breathing, being here or stepping if you sit and practice outside or inside to actually be able to bring that quality of attention and stabilize it with very or what appears like very little stimulation that's why we come here. We practice this so when it gets tricky, that's partly why we practice this. So when it gets tricky, we'll, have, we'll be able to recall, oh my God, I spent so many hours of exploring this. I have references inside my, in a felt way. You know, I, it's not like, oh yeah, I read about mindfulness. You know, it's, no, I know. I know. I know what it is. I've experienced I've explored it really deeply. And maybe I can invite this here where it's challenging. Maybe not. 
not always available. And another thing that uh, is still in the same theme, a different way maybe to talk about this, is something I appreciate so, 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 so much about this practice. I'm so thankful for. And I find remarkable. You know, you can get the information in many different ways, one way you can get the information is to go and find out what are the lists, what, what's, what are the qualities in the list of um, helpful, beneficial, onward-leading, liberating mind state. So there's a, in Buddhist psychology, there is a list. There's many, actually there's more qualities of mind that are related to well-being than there are that are related to, uh, to distress and... Uh, and um, entanglement or stress or suffering and you so you can have that information you know greed hatred delusion if i go like this you know where do you think they belong to <laughs> do they lead to happiness you know well in buddhist psychology greed hatred delusion uh, lead to distress confusion uh, suffering and other qualities we've named them uh, just from just a few hours being here, you know, metta, benevolence, um, compassion, mindfulness are in the list of uh, mind states or qualities of mind that are always helpful. So that's one thing to have the information, but that's kind of flat. It's kind of bi-dimensional. It's important information, especially if there is a really strong wrong view, like you might think greed is the way to happiness. You know, if I get this, sometimes we wouldn't say this about ourselves, you know. I strongly believe that greed is the way to happiness. <laughs> you wouldn't say that in a conversation. But the way we act, <laughs> you know, the way, we, the way we view things, the way we engage with things, often as greed to it, you know. If I can, you know, get this, we'll be okay, you know. And uh, so this way of clinging to something... Uh, Projecting, talk about uh, perception, alterations of perception with emotions. You know, in greed, suddenly something looks so desirable and so important. Shakespeare, you know, this is it. I need this. I need absolutely need this power, status, uh, the crown. You know, and there's, you know, and you'll see what somebody is able to do. And at the end, they're miserable in every play of Shakespeare. <laughs> At the end, you know, it's uh, said, you know, that will lead to you not even seeing, you know, clearly at all. You'll, you might kill to get something that you think is worth having, only to find out that it was not worth having it at all. <coughs> and so, yeah, there's a list, so it could be good, you know. You, 
I think for me it, w- it was really good when I started practicing. There was a few things that were, oh, they're in this list. Oh, you know, I, I, my arrogance or my privilege or my this or that, I, I, I didn't even know, you know. But what I was going to say that is remarkable about practice is to actually know deeply for oneself in an experiential way. This is what we call vipassana, is to experience, to clarify in a felt way. This is powerful information. And that's what happens here. That, that's what's happening to us as we practice here. The words in Pali, I particularly cherish them, is kusala and akusala. Kusala is, uh, is what's helpful, what's beneficial. Akusala is what is entangling, seems to me like a good imagery to, to use. Um, and vipassana means to understand in a felt way to understand deeply, to know uh, from within, from experience. And here we clarify this, and in a really in a felt way. Examples of this might be, and that might be things that I've heard um, lately, it could be on this retreat or other retreats, really... Uh, uh, real examples uh, of our, how it happens, I put it in, uh, I share it with us because that's, um, it's real and it's universal. It's, it's our human nature at play. So somebody might be saying, uh, thinking, and I'm, I'm putting this in my words. Uh, somebody might be saying, um, you know, I, viewing things in the sense that um, it would come out as uh, something like, I, I missed something really important, I can't believe I missed, there was something really important, I missed it. I can't believe I missed it. It was really important, I missed it. And and the mind is in struggle with this. What do I do with this? I missed it, it's past, I can't change it, I, I can't believe I missed it. And at some point, sometimes we miss things. It happens to human beings. They miss important things. Do you see two different ways to hold the same event? I don't know if I'm able to translate this here. But it's the same event. But one way is akusola, it brings stress. It's very natural. Very, very, so human. Very natural. Very, more natural than anything else. And there's another way to hold the same event. It's not a different event. Suddenly it's a different way to hold it. Kusala. And, it, and when this is felt, when this is experienced by the, the, in the body, in the heart, in the skin, in the mind... There's something about it that is so clarifying. Suddenly, there is a reference, a felt sense, a reference of what is maybe, I don't know how the person would call it, 
but maybe I'd call it something like acceptance, wisdom. Shit happened. Wow. And suddenly we go from very natural resistance or confusion, I don't know how to call it, it's not important, it's felt, to suddenly holding it with care, with compassion. I don't know also the words here, but it's felt. This is what's important. Or it could be, you know, hating this achy body. Or wishing to have another experience. I certainly can relate to this with the HIV. You know, I spend a number of years kind of dreaming of another experience. What if I didn't have HIV? You know, and there was a time where it was, it meant a lot more because it meant medication that needed to be refrigerated, which meant really restrained in the capacity to move around, to travel, to go on retreat. It meant all kinds of... uh, um, all kinds of uh, 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 side effects, side effects, or rather direct effects of uh, drugs. And uh, there was a lot of time of thinking, oh, if only there was not, if only there was not. I thought this was kusala. I thought this was a helpful way to live. If there was not this, I could do this, I could do that. It would be so easy to be with people. I wouldn't you know, think as if they would judge me or not, or, you know, everything is so complex with this. If it wasn't there, it would be so great. And at some point, it just got clarified for me in a felt way. Like the keeping dreaming of another life was a, an obstacle, a hindrance. And there was a moment where suddenly it, become, it became clear. I was just, I was sitting in a retreat like this. And I think I took a little break from the practice, you know, just... Give me two minutes. Do you do this sometimes? I'll I'll be with the breath. Just give me two two minutes. I'll plan next week. You know? And then I'll come back. I'll come back. Not now, but... (laughs) I'll come back. So I think I was sitting there, practicing, practicing. And then, habitually, the the mind went back to if there was not this... And somehow, because I think of prior moments of mindfulness, because of prior moments of mindfulness, suddenly there was mindfulness. What's the uh, proximate cause, what's the most important cause for mindfulness to arise? What is the best way to create conditions for mindfulness to arise? A prior moment of mindfulness. So when we're being mindful here, we're investing in our future, in a way. Because it will become maybe available as we practice being conscious. Seems so basic to be conscious. And so what happened for me is suddenly there was, you know, a consciousness. And suddenly I saw, oh, that is 
you know, when I come back to my life, I'm always failing. Because I go from fantasy to this, you know. And in that moment, to me it was clarified, oh, that's actually akusala, that's not helpful. That's not helping me, or not anymore. And there I thought, okay, I'm going to be with this life, this crooked life, this imperfect life. And then what was available was tenderness, compassion, energy, instead of, no, this life, you know, suddenly there was like, yeah, okay, commitment, engagement, I want to be here with this, with this. I want to learn how to hold this carefully, gracefully, kindly. And this, I'm trying here to talk mostly about how this is felt. It's felt in the mind, in the heart, in the body. So it's not a list. It's not something I'm trying to do. Is by being attentive, being attentive, I'll clarify for myself what are the different ways to live by experiencing the different ways we have to live. You know, resistance, perfect. Let's be in resistance for another hour or so. We're probably going to learn something from it. You know, how painful it is. You know, you could be just be here and want to be somewhere else. Just want to be back home, just want to be back home, just want to be back home. What do you want? I want to be back home. I want to be back home, I want to be back home. You know? <laughs> this is the only thing I want, be back home, be back home. Six days, six days, six days, seventeen, fifteen hours. Just want to be back home. At some point, you know, because of the surrounding mindfulness, maybe. <laughs> or, you know, they'll be like, oh, Maybe there's another way to be here. Maybe there's another way to be here. Or to be with this thing. thing. Maybe there's another way. Instead of... Maybe there's... I can be just here in this imperfect moment. think, it's hard to predict, but I think on this retreat I'll talk about two kinds of wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. I think it's a classical way to talk about wisdom. And this that I'm talking about is one of them. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, one kind of wisdom is to know from within which, what are the different attitudes that will be helpful, the different ways to be with things. It's about the relationship to what's happening. On retreat, it was um, made very clear to me, I think on the, one particular retreat with uh, Sayada Upandita, a Burmese uh, teacher, master. And uh, in, on that retreat, we had an interview every day for two months. Every day we had to come and report on uh, what was happening uh, in the practice. 
I learned a lot of things. This, the, uh, um, I remember, remember at the beginning of the meetings or interviews, um, I was uh, the first few interviews. He would kick me out. You know, he would say like, you know, like, how's your practice? What's going on? And then I would report, and he would just go like. I remember one time he had my sheet. You know how we fill a sheet sometimes about like on the f- a form, like you did, you know, about our prior experience. And I remember, like he, while I was talking, he took my sheet like this. He was looking, and then he was naming all the teacher I work with that I had listed on the sheet, you know. And it was all his students, you know. And he was like, Carl Wilson, uh, Joseph Goldstein. <laughs> he was lead- and he was doing like I can't believe, you know, they sent me this guy. <laughs> and he would do like this, you know. And then I, you know, and I, I, it brought a lot of different uh, afflictive emotions <laughs> to me. And um, but slowly I learned how to how to report and uh, and uh, and I remember at the end of the retreat, you know how at the end of a retreat, if you've experienced one, people often gather and talk about you know the retreat and what happened, and, and uh, the retreatants were saying. Oh my God, I'm I'm so happy there was the document on how to report that they gave us at the beginning. You know, and somebody else was like, Oh yeah, I'm so happy they gave us the document. And I was like, What document? I want to see the document. And I started reading the document on how to report. I was like, Oh yeah, I learned that. <laughs> I learned that the really hard way. Yeah, that's exactly it. I could re- write this document now. I know, you know. But I didn't know at the beginning. And basically, just if you're curious about... Uh, there was basically uh, three questions we had to answer when we were reporting about our practice. was, what was happening? So you would take a little snippet of uh, sitting inside or being outside practice. A little snippet. And you would say, what was happening? First question, what was happening? How... Was it known? How was it met? And what happened after? It's very simple, no? So there was something happening. How was it met? And what happened after? Et voilà. So there's always something happening. Either sitting, eating, having a strong emotion, having no emotion wishing for some. (laughs) There's something happening. You're showering, you're laying in bed. There's something happening. How is it known? Was it known mindfully? Was it known with care, in a friendly way, with curiosity? Or was it experienced unconsciously, habitually? There was thinking, what was happening? Thinking was happening. How was it known? It was not known mindfully. There was... Uh, you know, just caught in thoughts. You know, what happened eventually? Eventually, oh, I woke up to thinking. You know, what was happening? Thinking stopped. How was it? Suddenly, there was attention to the breath, curiosity for the breath. You know? And what happened then? Mind took over again in thoughts. You know, and. Um, does that describe your experience <laughs> or something close to? Each question is really important. So something is happening. The middle question is really important. It's the relationship to. 
So I was just saying before I started that loop here, you know, that it's, what we do is, to, is all about relationship, that kind of wisdom, of the two kinds of wisdom, is about how to relate to, to anything. So the teacher was asking, how are you relating? How are you holding it? And then what happened eventually, maybe I'll talk more later, is about the second kind of wisdom understanding of the impermanent nature of things. And, and so what I learned, I, I learned to practice through these three questions. That's practice. I would return to practice. And it, it was the way to report, but it was also for me the way to practice. What's happening? How is it known? And let's stay connected to see what's going to happen with that. Something's going to end. You know, the bell will ring, the thought will stop, you know, the emotion will pass. You know. And what was remarkable to me is that going to see the teacher, what was happening could be, let's say, oh, I got really sick. So during the retreat, at some point, I got really sick. And I wanted to go home, I was discouraged, I didn't think it was the right place to be, I was too sick probably a cold, something like this, but intensified by silence, <laughs> solitude and attention, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, and so, I, you know, I would describe this, or I would describe light all over, losing the boundaries of the body, some kind of transparency, lightness. So this was the first question. What was happening? Sickness, uh, longing to go back home, or lightness. Uh, what I discovered over the course of the retreat is that the teacher, in a way, didn't care at all about the first answer. Like I would say, like, hey, my body was all like made of light, and like. <laughs> what I care about is what was your relationship to this? Did you want more? Were you hooked? Were you thinking you were enlightened? Were you making it yours? Were you thinking it was it and it would stay like this? Were you, you know? And what eventually happened? Well, the light disappeared. <laughs> the boundaries of the body came back, you know? And, and, or if I would say I'm sick like a dog, you know? Fine. This or light, I don't care. What, what is your relationship? How are you holding this? Do you see the power of this? When in my mind, what is of value is what is happening. And suddenly in the teacher's mind, what is, what is of value is not what is happening, is how I'm relating to it. Important information for me, infinite gratitude. Oh, it's not about what's happening. It's about how I'm relating to it. Well, you don't have to buy it. You don't have to believe this. But it's worth checking out. And so, the practice we're doing here is learning how to relate to something that looks boring. Nothing happening in this room again. <laughs> so what's happening? I'm in this room again. <laughs> how are you relating to it? You know? Is the mind getting entangled and making a problem out of it? 
how can the how can the mind be in relation, or the heart be in relationship with this? It's not easy what I'm talking about. It just sounds easy when I describe it, you know. But after we go back in the field, and suddenly, you know, it gets really complex. You know, pancake, porridge, pancake. <laughs> I'm joking. There's things that are much more, you know, a lot of things that are happening in our relationships, in our body, the aging body, the sick body, that are relate- happening in the world, you know. War, pandemic, social injustice. What's happening? How are you relating to it? Are you dismissing it, not considering it? Are you clinging to it? Are you getting all worked up with it? Or are you able to... To me, that's extremely applicable. If I, you know, watch the news. What's happening? News on TV. How are you relating to it? Really important. How are you relating to this, Pascal? You know, it's really tricky here. What is my passageway, mindfulness? Here, I'm here, there's a body here breathing, images are coming, news are being told. How am I relate? I could cling to opinions, get all worked up, you know, or just fall into despair. Of course. So it's a really tricky practice. How am I receiving news, for example, from the world? How am I holding, you know, how am I considering, you know, this relationship between settlers, immigrants, uh, people from the First Nation, indigenous people? Oh, you know. I could dismiss this, oh, not my problem, don't care. You know, okay, that's one way to relate to it. I could fall into shame and despair, that's one way to relate to it. I could also maybe bring care, bring attention, bring curiosity, listening skills, stability, balance of mind, benevolence, compassion, you know. And consider racism, sexism, transphobia, or the experience of the other. And so at any scale, in the here, in the psyche-heart system, in the relational, between two people maybe, between a group of people, society, at any scale, any event inside or outside, how am I relating to this, is what we're exploring here. How am I relating to this? And there's habitual ways that we have to relate, and here we're questioning these habits, or we're coming close, no judgments, we're just waking up, oh, look at this, what's my relationship to this? How am I holding this? How could I hold this? Let's take a moment here just to feel what we feel.
May we use all opportunities here to become interested in how we relate to what is happening wherever we are. At whatever time it is, always this opportunity to use the immediate experience to become interested in how we're relating to this. Because that's how we're going to relate to things later. May we make this week really powerful discoveries about how we hold things and how we can hold things. May this be for our benefit and from the benefit of all beings, those around us, those far away from us, and those who will come. so much for your consideration. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.